How are ya? It's Jill Abramovitz here. I played Maxine and Juno in Beetlejuice. It's really a beautiful night. And I just wanna say, as gorgeous as it is outside, just don't go out there. Damn! It's showtime. In a world where zombies, ghosts, serial killers, and vampires all exist, it's Nico, Brian, Mike, and Dustin, and they are all that stand between you and the films that could end the world. Welcome to the Don't Go Out There horror movie podcast welcome back everybody to the don't go out there horror movie review podcast powered by the roll-up network just want to thank all our fans and listeners i really appreciate all support you guys have been awesome we're growing a lot the past couple months uh it's awesome to see honestly uh for gentlemen tonight's film reviews want to give a quick shout out to our website don't go out there.com we've got all of our episodes interviews our blog our store our all of our celebrity shout outs and, of course, all of our social media links are on there as well. We're on all of the big social medias, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. Go follow us and subscribe to us on those platforms. Uh, it really helps us grow and uh, reach new people, which is awesome. And just one more quick shout-out to our blood donors. It's just our form of Patreon. We have a one-time donation set up where you can, you know, like tonight, we're reviewing one of our fans of the show, his movies. If you want us to review a movie, Check out Blood Donors, or if you want to just be a monthly Patreon, you know, just we get a lot of fans ask how they can support us. Uh, just check out, check that out on our website. Uh, tonight is going to be a fun review, I think. Uh, it's one of our favorite. It's one of our biggest fans. He, you know, he uh, he paid on Blood Donors to. He wanted us to review a movie for him, and he chose Beetlejuice. And I think uh, all of us kind of like this movie. I don't think I like it as much as everyone, but I do like this movie. Uh, I'll go first with general thoughts. Uh, I watched this movie for the first time about a month ago, maybe, just because I knew it was coming up. I wanted to. I always like to watch a movie that I haven't seen one time without having to take notes, just so I can absorb everything. First time I watched it, uh, I thought it was just okay. I thought it was a little slow, a little boring at some spots. But on the most recent watch, uh, I had a lot. I had more fun with it. Uh, I think we'll all agree Michael Keaton is great as Beetlejuice. Uh, it's it's cool seeing Winona Ryder, you know, younger because I love Stranger Things, Mr. Deeds, <laughs> love, love her in that movie as well. Uh, but like I said, I don't love this movie by any means, but I definitely don't hate it, and I like it more than after my first watch. Uh, Brian, you want to go next? You got the sign beaming on you right now. <laughs> yeah, I know I've said this on here before, but I'm a huge Tim Burton fan and a huge Michael Keaton fan, and this is unmistakably and unapologetically a Tim Burton movie. Um, you know, in fact, it was one of my favorite movies as a kid, uh, and I still love watching it when it's on. Uh, I even remember watching the cartoon as a kid in, uh, in Beetlejuice Graveyard Review at Universal Studios. Uh, this, Batman and Batman 89 and Batman Returns, you know, were huge parts of my childhood from Burton and Keaton. And, I mean, you know, is it hokey? Yeah, but in the best way to me. Uh, plus, it's hokey on purpose. You know, it just... Uh, it has a legendary cast. Uh, it was nominated for three Academy Awards, uh, winning for Best Makeup, if I'm not mistaken. You know, I talked about this being such a big part of my childhood, 
And, you know, it's well documented. My favorite movie of all time is Ghostbusters. And uh, funny enough, it was a success of that mix of horror, fantasy and comedy and Ghostbusters. Why this movie was even commissioned to be made. Um, but I actually read a description of this that fit me perfectly. Cinemasker uh, actually described this movie as perplexing. And all these years later, I still don't get it. But I absolutely love it. There's no reason why it should work, but it does as long as you let your mind go and just enjoy the ride. Yeah, that's my sentiments exactly on this film. Um, I look, I like the movie. I I think it's a lot of fun. It's a really fun, easy watch. Um, I don't think this movie makes a ton of sense. Like, there's there's kind of a lot going on uh, as far as plot wise. But man, you know, you kind of nailed it with that quote, Brian, where. Yeah. It, it, it's it's not really supposed to work, and in any other movie, I'd probably shit on it for it. But the cast and their acting is so good to me, and like I just love this cast: Gina Davis, Michael Keaton, which we've already said, Catherine O'Hara, like Winona Ryder. This movie goes on and on and on with really good cast members, and so it's just a lot of fun. Um, I said it in the group text this morning. This is not a horror movie. This is probably the least horror movie we reviewed on this show. However, I will say I enjoy that we're doing it. Expands our horizons. It's a spooky comedy. I believe Nico said gothic comedy. I'm going to go with spooky comedy, which I think kind of works. You know, I kind of think of like, you know, Ghostbusters is kind of a spooky comedy. You know, same same premise. So if we reviewed that, we should review this. Um yeah, man, Michael Keaton knocks it out of the park. Uh, this is before Tim Burton's aesthetic got tired to me, so I have some nostalgia for this movie. I like the Tim Burton setting, the look of things. Um, yeah, man, I'm not as big of a Tim Burton fan as Brian is, but I do enjoy a lot of his earlier stuff. And this movie is almost like a live act in spots. It's like a live action-y Nightmare Before Christmas, like just the aesthetic, and I really enjoy that movie. So I enjoy this movie too. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, um, I think I thought going into this that Brian and I would have the highest rating and opinion of this movie. I still feel that way. I know that you guys don't hate the movie and you guys like it, uh, but Brian and I it's safe to say we love it. I think it has it has the same nostalgia for the two of us. I can remember going to a movie rental store in Sweetwater, Tennessee as a youth, and there was two movies when I was like three, four years old, five years old, that I always wanted to rent. And I uh, wasn't allowed to rent either of them. One of them I was allowed to rent, but then uh, wasn't allowed to rent it any longer. That was Little Mermaid, the Disney cartoon. Uh, my dad told me uh, he wasn't renting that for me anymore. He thought it was weird that I wanted to watch Little Mermaid so much. <laughs> I get it. And then for when, when I was told I couldn't get that anymore, I just kept pointing towards the Beetlejuice cover. I wanted to rent Beetlejuice. I wanted Beetlejuice. I want, I'm not going to say it a third time. And they wouldn't let me rent it. They wouldn't let me rent it either because they said it would scare me. Um, which looking back is, it's kind of funny. I watched this the other day and it just always blows my mind that this is rated PG. It definitely right. feels PG 13, <laughs> especially when you, you, you've taken into consideration that there's an F bomb dropped in it um, and a crotch grab immediately following it. But regardless, I wasn't allowed to rent it because they thought it would scare me. And eventually they caved, let me rent it and, this movie's just been a part of my life that long. So damn near 30 years, uh, you know, I'd say 27 years or so that this movie has been a part of my life and I love it. Then the cartoon, I, it was one of my favorite cartoons growing up. 
Um, that being said, this rewatch, yes, it held up. I love everything about it. Michael Keaton, this is probably the best performance of his career, and that is saying something because Michael Keaton is a fantastic actor. Um, I love the fact that we get Kevin McAllister's mom and uh, Ferris Bueller's principal hooking up. Uh, I love the fact that um, Winona Ryder, she kills her character. I think Alec Baldwin uh, plays his, his role and Gina Davis. They both play it masterfully. I just love everything about this movie. It's cheesy in the best way, like you said. Now, Mike, to your point, it's not it's not horror. I can see that, but it definitely, like, I could see, you know, horror elements. Like, it, it, yeah, it's kind of creepy. Yeah, of course. It's creepy as fuck. Um, um, I don't. I don't want to label it kids horror like Coraline or anything because there's a the word fuck is in this movie. <laughs> and right. there's a crotch grab right. and there's it's strippers. But, right, I know. But, you know, I, I think it's just over that quote-unquote kids horror line like Coraline and Hotel Transylvania and stuff like that. But this is definitely close, yeah. Yeah, but uh, I think that we've certainly flirted with stretching the, the limits of what defines horror on this show before. So if we're going to do it for some of those other ones, then by God, bring on Beetlejuice. I think it's just as much horror as Ghostbusters was. Yeah. And spoiler absolutely. alert, that was my highest rating ever. Stay tuned. Uh-oh. Beetlejuice. Uh-oh. Uh, Ghostbusters was my first 10. Beetlejuice, mate. Never mind. Go ahead. <laughs> hey, uh, yeah, you know, one thing you touched on that I meant to say, this movie is hokey and cheesy done right. Because there is a really easy way to fuck that up and this movie does not fuck it up like it took like you know when you kind of like just throw shit in a pan and hope it tastes good like you, you like you throw a bunch of leftovers in a pan and it all, all of a sudden it's a stir fry and it just somehow still tastes pretty good that's what this movie is to me <laughs> and i mean that as a compliment that's a very good thing and well, hey know you're too rich to eat leftovers son of a bitch <laughs> And I, I had chicken and green beans for dinner, man. Off my ass. I'm sipping my Miller Lite. Let's do this. Hey, I was going to say, Dustin, since you brought up one owner writer, did you guys know that friend of the show, Heather Langenkamp, was actually considered for the role of Lydia And uh, after Tim Burton saw her in Nightmare on Elm Street? And actually, she turned it down because she didn't want to play a golf girl. Um, I mean, hey, I've loved Winona too, but that's friend of the show, Heather Langenkamp right there. Don't go out there.com and listen to her interview. Yeah, me and Heather got a lot in common. We like horror movies. Uh, we're both efficient for weddings. Let's do this. Heather, I'm my girl. What's up? Where'd that come from? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I can marry people. Uh, I'm still waiting on Dustin to pick his. Let's go. Come on. All right, we're, hold on. What are we picking back up? All right. Sorry, <laughs> it made me laugh. Yeah, uh, I think one of my biggest issues is I just didn't see it until – last month maybe if i had some nostalgia to it yeah i think so i would uh yeah. be a little more invested into it but like you guys said i, do, I definitely don't hate this movie by any means uh any more opening thoughts we jump into uh scene by scene it's showtime to be fair it's hard for you to have it's hard for you to have nostalgia towards any movie because you've never seen any movies until about <laughs> a year ago or so you want to make nico quit man come on respectfully <laughs> of course of course, right, boy. All right, whatever, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, bitch. <laughs> whatever. All right, let's switch to the scene right. by scene. Shout out to Hunter. Appreciate you uh, donating, picking this movie, man. Yeah. Like, and like I said last week as well, I think this is a great movie to end September and go into October with. I think this is a good way to kick the Halloween, you know, October month off. So let's get it. 
The title or the screen says a Tim Burton film and title card. I wrote we get a groovy score with opening credits and with an aerial shot of the town in the forest. We see this giant spider crawling this model house and Adam picks it up and throws it out the window. I thought that was funny. Barbara walks in and says, happy vacation, giving him his anniversary gift. It's Manchurian tongue oil. And he gives her her gift. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it's blueprints or what, but it's it's wrapped up like present wrapper or something. She goes to walk away and he throws her on the couch and the two kiss. The phone rings and there's a honk of a car outside. Jane is outside. They run downstairs and Barbara lets her inside. Jane says someone offered them 260 grand for their house. Barbara says stop sending out photos of their house. The house is too big and they don't have a family, she says. Barbara kicks her out and Adam closes the blind on Jane as she tries to tell Adam her spill. Adam yells out to Barbara to join him as they go to town. They get in the car and discuss their vacation and trying to have a family. They get to the hardware store and old Bill asks Adam if he needs a haircut and begins to ramble on. Adam grabs what he needs and leaves money and sees, and he says, see it, old Bill. Adam's back in the car, and Barbara swerves to miss a dog, and they drive their car through the side of a bridge. The, they teeter, and then their car falls into the river below. Back home, they walk inside, soaking wet. She says the fire wasn't burning when we left. Barbara's hand catch fire like birthday candles. Adam asks, do you remember even how we got back home? He goes to leave to trace his steps, but he's in another world now. Barbara pulls him back, and he was gone for hours, she says. She shows him they have no reflection, and they're in the handbook for the recently deceased. Barb wants to know why he disappeared when he stepped off the front porch. He says this book explains nothing. Now we see candles burning with clippings saying, what was it, Beetle Geist? He says he needs to find a job as he looks through a newspaper. Back to Adam and Barb, and she complains she can't clean properly. They hear chanting outside, and we see Jane and her child in funeral attire. Adam calls for her, but they don't answer him. Barb complains how dumb the book is, and Adam says, We're dead. We don't have much to worry about anymore. The house has been sold. The two wake up when they feel the earth shaking, and a new family is moving in. Delia doesn't seem ecstatic about her new home. She says ways she can light the place on fire. Charles asks Lydia how she likes it, and she says she could live here when she sees a spider in its web. Charles loves the place. Otho sneaks in the house through the window. Otho tells Charles be happy the yuppies are buying condos so he can afford all the renovations. Otho and Delia walk the house and Delia opens the closet and we see Barb hanging and she rips her face off. But they, they don't see her and only complain of the size of the closet. They look into Charles' office and we see Barb holding Adam's decapitated head but they don't see him. Delia snaps on Charles saying she must be artistic and redesign the house or she'll kill him too. Adam realizes he forgot to lock the attic door. Otho feels something run past him as Adam locks the door. Delia jokes that the ghosts of the people before them are in there. Headless Adam walks in the office and he and Barbara run out as Charles reads his magazine. Barbara goes outside the front door and falls into that world, that new world, and it's in like a desert. We see this snake-like thing strike at them and they make it back in their house before the snake thing gets them. We're trapped in this house, she says. The family has dinner now and Charles says he'll build her a dark room when they get settled. Charles is the only one happy here. Lydia thinks they should keep the house as is to to Delia's dislike. All right, go ahead, Brian. That's the opening. Yeah, right off the bat, I just kind of wanted to point out as a graphics guy, I think literally every movie in the 80s, including Ghostbusters, used this exact same font and this outer, this huge like outer glow on their credits. 
very period centric. Just want to point that out. Anyway, um, anyway, Danny freaking Elfman and his score just is so freaking iconic. I mean, he's such a damn legend. You know, from The Simpsons, Men in Black, Batman, Spider Man Two, Scream Two, Dick Tracy, Red Dragon, which I'm picking soon. I mean, I could go on and on with that. And at this point, he had done Pee Wee's Big Adventure for Burton, which don't forget we had Mark Holton on too. Don't go out there. dot com. Listen to that interview. But uh, this and 89 Batman really launched not only him, but Burton and Keaton into the, you know, the legends we know today. And, and I just, I love, I love Danny Elfman. Um, <laughs> Ernie, the old man, cracked my ass up in the set of scenes where he said, he's got hair down to his goddamn shoulders, which, I, I mean, I know, <laughs> I know we kind of touched on this earlier, Dustin did, with it being PG and the cussing in this. And, you know, as an adult, you're like, oh shit, okay, this is on the table in a PG movie? Like, okay. But, you know, it, it didn't it didn't phase me as a kid. Now, watching it, it just kind of cracks my ass up, which I think is why one of those movies that just appeals to, like, both kids and adults. You know, it's stuff you don't even get as a kid and then just kind of goes over your head. But as an adult, it's funny as hell. And, and it's all over this one to me. Um, the wreck and the dog, like, gag, you know, it really it really just sets the tone for this movie to me. And it says, you know, okay, this movie isn't going to abide by the laws of reality, which, because, I mean, Come on, like they would have survived that wreck probably in real life or, you know, physics or shit, anything. But, you know, you're not supposed to even be sad about this death or, or invested. It's it's played for gags. And I think that that this whole scene right here kind of lets you know, OK, you know, I can just kind of sit back and enjoy it now. It's that kind of movie. Um, now, the sandworm, I mean, I know it looks bad, but as an adult, I've kind of realized, you know, it's supposed to be part of the gag in a real world reason. You know, the visual effects budget was only a million dollars. So that's a major factor in Tim Burton kind of deciding to make the effects look as tacky and B movie as possible on purpose. Um, you know, and lastly, I'll get it, let the guys kind of get more into the cast, you know, but wow, you know, Burton had to talk to most of them actually into doing this after a bunch of no's from pretty much everyone except Gina Davis. Now, this may be a, you know kind of a iffy thing for me to say, but I'm not the biggest personal fan of Alec Baldwin. Now, if I had to pick a Baldwin, it would be William personally, but I do like Alec in this movie. I mean, I, I could, anyway, I mean, I could run my mouth forever on this movie. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. I love this opening um, for a movie. That's like that. When you look at the cover art, which you know, Dustin kind of mentioned, it's kind of dark, spooky, looking it opens with a very almost like whimsical score like not like Willy Wonka whimsical but like in that same vein like it's like kind of upbeat in a weird way like it's a I really like that and I like the opening credits uh sequence I think it's really cool um I love the couple dynamic here between Baldwin and Davis I think it's really good I you know you said something that I have right here I said the death of these two is played for laughs and I think that's very important because in any other movie, this is a very sad scene, man. Like these two finally get a vacation. They decide to take it at home, which by the way, here's a big warning for anyone in your life. Don't take your vacation at home because this is exactly what happens. You die. Take a vacation at home. You die. That's it. There's my correlation causation, correlation, you know, you know, whatever you want to say. That's, that's, that's the lesson to be learned here. But anyway, I like that scene. I like that they involved the dog and the dog jumps off the board and that's what puts them over the edge. I like that a lot. I think it's really fun. Um, I like the, just the writing of their discovery of being dead. I think it's really, really good. 
um, the way it's played. Again, it's not too serious, and they don't freak out like it's the end of the world. They're like, oh, man, we're fuck, we're dead? Like, for real? Really? We didn't survive the crash? Like, that's kind of the way they take it. And I, you know, I, I like that. And, you know, the book is one of those things I talked about at the top of the show, which is it really doesn't fit anywhere. Like, it's not something... I guess it's like a plot device that kind of comes in to play later. Like in these earlier scenes, like we don't know what the book is. We don't see any pages in the book. Like it's just, I don't know. But I, I mean, again, it's a plot device, so that's fine. Um, I, I like that we move, you know, a new family moves in. It creates an interesting dynamic. You know, we talked about the cast, but Winona Ryder plays Lydia so well. It's such a, this is such a memorable character from this movie to me. You know, Beetlejuice gets like 18, 19 minutes of screen time in the entire film. To me, when I think of Beetlejuice, I think of Lydia, honestly, because she has, you know, some iconic lines and just her overall look, that goth look. Um, you know, in 1993, look, I was I was one year old. I was one year old. So I don't know if goth kids was a very popular thing then. Maybe you guys can watch, you know, sharper me up on that. But her look was a look that I was seeing through middle school and high school about a decade later. Like that's. That's kind of, you know, the look that people were modeling themselves after. So I, I think that's interesting. Um, I love this character that Catherine O'Hara plays. If for no other reason, it's complete opposite of Kevin McAllister's mom in Home Alone. Like, I just love that. I mean, I mean, I don't love her in Home Alone because she's a dumbass that leaves her kid home not once but twice. Okay. <laughs> that's really fucking stupid. But she complains, like, in there – you know, there's genuine sweetness and kindness, and and she tries really hard. In this movie, she's just kind of an uppity bitch, and I think it works really well. And I think it's an interesting dynamic. Um, yeah, the worm I could go without. It's look, it's not the 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 year doesn't date it. I know you said these effects are bad on purpose. I get that, um, but they're about the only things in this movie that don't hold up well. But I'm going to counter my own point. They don't hold up well, and I kind of like that. Like, I, I don't know how else to explain it. I like that they're not perfect, that they look cheap, that they look like something that a Nickelodeon show would have, you know, from 1996. Like, this, some of the effects in this movie look like Are You Afraid of the Dark? And I think that's good. Like, I kind of like that nostalgic feel. So that, uh, that's pretty much all I had on this set of scenes. So um, this set of scenes, <clears throat> I like that we're introduced to just a, an absolute picture-perfect couple. Uh, you could just tell that these two are very much in love and they've got a perfect life that they love out in the middle of nowhere with just them. And they're in no interest of moving or, you know, getting away from their lifestyle. And they're talking about starting a family and having kids. So the man fuck them kids award of this movie goes to uh, Adam and Barbara because they would rather drive, drive off a bridge and die this, than have a kid. So I think that's it. That speaks volume to them. Um, but in, all, but in all seriousness, uh, I think that, you know, first of all, at the time that this movie was made, the reputation of the 240 series Volvos was that of the safest car in the world. And purportedly, no one had been killed in a Volvo of that series and vintage. So the fact that Adam and Barbara died in one was a huge joke to Volvo owners and other car savvy viewers. Um, shout out to IMDb for that one but um you know i think it's a good set of scenes now you spoke to the you spoke to the effects here 
Who's to say that these effects look bad? None of us know what the afterlife looks like. Maybe Me. That's what I said it looked bad. Looks Fuck like. It just looks like an acid trip. So, <laughs> do you know what it looks like once you die? I died once. Are you the afterlife expert? So, anyway. Uh, you know, maybe the sandworm and all that. Maybe that's how it really looks when you die. Who are we to judge? Um but no, I think the acting in this is great. Like you mentioned, I, I do think it's funny that Catherine O'Hare's character in this movie was so, uh, you know, materialistic and, and uh, snobby because a lot of the reason why she left her kid in the fucking attic when she traveled was because to Paris is because she was so caught up in going to Paris that she was a negligent mother and home alone. So uh, I'm picking up on some personality traits here, Catherine O'Hara. <laughs> anyway, go ahead. Hey, and I know that it's before her uh, Home Alone, but whenever she delivers that line and she's talking about, I'm going insane and I'm taking you with me, it's exactly like, <laughs> Kevin, whenever in Home Alone, like it's, it's just, it's, it's delivered like exactly like that. And you can definitely pick that up. Hey, will you cut you out just saying Kevin so I can have that as like a, a notification <laughs> tone thing? <laughs> Kevin? Yeah. All right. We see construction equipment at the house now and furniture being moved inside. Delia is panicking over her sculptures. Adam finds an article about Beetlejuice, the bio-exorcist. Charles has some of the movers take a break as he makes some hot tea, but a sculpture flies through the window of him, almost hitting him. The crane drops the statue, pinning Delia to the house. Lydia sees the ghost in the window. Adam says to Barb, they can't be seen. Lydia asks Jane what happened to them, and Jane gives Lydia a skeleton key to the house and tells her she single-handedly designed the house. We see Lydia walking up the stairs towards the attic. Barbara and Adam, the, Barbara and Adam here, and they push against the door. They see a Beetlejuice commercial now. He tells them to come on down as a bio exorcist cowboy. Say it once, say it twice, and three times a charm. Adam is back to the door, and he pushes the key out. In case of emergency, draw a door. He draws one on the brick wall, and Barbara says, "Maybe we should try that beetle guy." Adam knocks three times, and the brick opens and Lydia sees the green light coming from the attic door. Adam and Barb walk through the door. Back to Charles, he's in his office and looks at birds in a book. He looks through his binoculars and is scared by Lydia. He has her go help her mother, and he comments on how nice a building is outside. Barb and Adam walk into a lobby with other strange-looking guests. Adam knocks on the window, and the receptionist says it's only been two months, and they already need help. She says they gotta wait for Juno since they have no appointment. Lydia makes it into the attic and looks at the model of a town Adam had built. She looks through the recently deceased book. A burnt figure offers Adam a cigarette, and a tiny-headed man stares awkwardly at Barb. The receptionist says it's all personal when people die. The couple is called to the back, and they see these skeletons and ghoulish figures running the place. They make it down this hallway and see a door open full of lost souls. That's death for the dead, the janitor says. They make it to room six. This place gets weirder and weirder, Adam says. We're home, they say. Juno says she almost left their case that they took so long. Barbara says they're very unhappy and they want to get rid of the people in their house. Juno asks if they've studied the manual. Get them out yourself, she tells them. Barb asks about Beetle, but Juno shush shushes them. He doesn't work well with others. Don't even say his name. He was her assistant, but he's a troublemaker. Claimed he could get rid of the living. He's been sleezing around the cemetery and you can only call upon him saying his name three times. Juno disappears as Adam asks a question. Adam and Barb leave. Zoom in on the little town, and a fly wanders the cemetery as something lures the fly to it. 
and it drags the fly below the ground. All right, go ahead, Brian. Oh, yeah, something about last set of scenes that I meant to touch on, too, like we didn't talk about, but like her hanging herself and like ripping her face off and even even the effects with like holding Adam's head and stuff. I mean, I think, I mean, shit, I mean, obviously you can tell why this thing won an Academy Award for makeup. I mean, it's just those effects were great. But I mean, also, that's a little bit what Dustin was talking about, like in a PG movie, especially like that's a little bit yeah. disturbing. Like a, that's that's like teetering on that line was OK because it was played for gags. Like that's why, you know, they, they let it go. But I mean, now watching that back, hey, that's a little bit out there. But uh, at this point in the movie, honestly, I had to catch myself because I wasn't taking much notes. I was just watching the movie because it's just so fun to watch. <laughs> You know, I, I love this this 80s version of quote unquote modern design that Ortho says. And, uh, it, you know, I don't know. It just cracks me up. Plus, and I know when it, it comes with most of Burton's later movies, but all of his movies, which I mean, we didn't know then, but we know now, you know, all of his movies kind of flirt with that line of, you know, like Nico said, the gothic yet cartoonish yet gruesome. And I mean, you can really see him kind of coming into that style here with this movie. Um, I love the underworld scene. Uh, I think there's such good, awesome practical effects here as well. You know, as a kid, just the bricks opening up, like, still, I mean, and I don't know, it's just so cool, even today. Uh, you know, girls, I don't know if you guys feel the same way about it, but give us guys, and I don't, maybe it's because we built forts as a little kid, I don't know, but give us a secret or hidden entrance or, or something like that. I think it's fucking awesome. Um, you know, a little nitpick kind of that's always bothered me, though, when Adam's reading... Uh, how to like quote unquote draw a door, you know, and then he flips the page like three times before finding to knock three times. What kind of book would spread the instructions out like that? I just wanted to throw that out there. That's noticeably annoying to me and probably something Baldwin just honestly did. Um, Keaton, again, just so fucking good. And this intro to Beetlejuice here, uh, Keaton apparently like ad libbed 90% of his lines. And, oh, and just another connection here. He apparently based his performance of Beetlejuice on Mike's boy Chop Top from Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Um, you know, but hell, you know, him pulling the fly down was apparently a little nod to the fly as well. Uh, Gina Davis, she uh, starred in the 86 remake of The Fly, but I don't, and I don't know why, you know, I always felt sorry for that little fly or whatever, but this actually was like, the help me, help me, that's famous from like the 58 version. Um, but what can I say? I hated it when I was small. Hey, I have a big heart. What can I say? <laughs> um, and like lastly, just as a little fun fact here, in the waiting room, both here and at the end of the movie, the bottom half of the magician's assistant that Beetlejuice kind of tries to feel up uh, was played by Tim Burton's then girlfriend. But I don't have a name for you, just that it was Tim Burton's girlfriend. So anyway, go ahead, Mike. Which is weird because... Uh... He had to watch Michael Keaton feel up his girlfriend. Anyway. <laughs> True. Uh, yeah, so, you know, a line from the last set of scenes that I think of when I see, you know, the furniture people moving in and everything is, oh, a little gasoline, a little blowtorch. No big deal. <laughs> I love that line from Catherine O'Hara. I think it's really good. Um, yeah, so, to me, my main takeaway from this set of scenes, kind of like you, Brian, at this point, I'm just kind of watching the film. So I don't have a ton of notes, but I like to construct like how they construct death as like a business almost like there's, you know, it, it's like an operation being run. There's a waiting room. I love the receptionist lady. Like she's great. Uh, I think it's a great character. I think it's awesome. 
uh, especially later in the film when, when you get the football team behind her, which I'm going to mm. say, but that's great stuff, man. Um, how great is that effect too? When she's like smoking and it's coming out of yeah. her neck. Oh, I know. She so so there's some good so effects. Stuff. There's some good effects here. Like you said, you know, anything with, you know, Gina Davis's face or anything like that, like that's really good. Um, I, I, I like, I just kind of like the character work from Baldwin and Davis where they're realizing they have, they're dead. They have to be quote unquote scary. And they're really bad at it. <laughs> like, again, this is being played for laughs. And I think, you know, you kind of take something that would normally be pretty morbid. You know, you said, Brian, it walks the line a little, uh, but because, you know, these are two people that died and now they have to be scary ghosts and it's being done for haha. And I, I just think it works really well, man. I really do. Um, Obviously, we get the introduction of Beetlejuice, which, again, I already said it, but he's not in this movie all that much. And I think that's kind of what makes it special. Like, I do think if they ever got Beetlejuice 2 off the ground, it would have been bastardized a little. Um, Even some of the scripts that I've read, I I think Beetlejuice would be in it too much. It's almost like it would have become... Now, again, we love the main slasher people. That's what this podcast was based off of essentially. But in some of those later sequels, that's all the movie is, is those guys walking around killing people. And that's fine. But I do think if you had sequels to this movie, one, you would have lost Michael Keaton. Cause I don't see Michael Keaton doing anything past the Beetlejuice two, but two, you get kind of this repetitive formula where it's Beetlejuice, ha ha one liners, you know, like I just think it's so he's so special in this movie. Dragon the Fly, like I think that's really like really really good, man. Um, again, this is you you hide him enough, and again, we're what are we? Probably thirty minutes in, and we're just now getting Beetlejuice, like twenty five minutes in or something like that, and we're and we're just now getting Michael Keaton. I, I think it's great, man. I think it's really good. Uh, not a whole lot of notes, but again, I like the way. Again, as much as I kind of shit on the movie for being a lot of loose pieces put together, I do like a lot of this stuff where we're kind of flipping what would normally be sad and morbid on its head a little bit, and we're laughing because, I don't know, something about death being a business and whatever movie it's in kind of makes me laugh. Like, I don't know what that's about. But, uh, yeah, man. So th- so that's all I had on that set of scenes. Hey, and when Max calls Charles a putz, look. <laughs> Putz is not used enough these days. Like, we got to bring that back. We're so, bringing that one back, too. So, to, to let everyone in, before the show, Brian was making fun of me for being an old man that yells at clowns, and this man wants to bring back putts. <laughs> Come on, man. Hey. Right. <laughs> me and Nico are just whippersnappers. Whippersnappers. <laughs> Whipper. <laughs> All right, Charles is on the phone with his boss, and his boss isn't interested in investing with him on this building in the middle of nowhere. Charles hears moaning and opens the door. We see a sheet levitating, and he thinks it's Lydia just trying to scare them. And Nico, I hate to interrupt you. I just want to cut in and say I fucking hate the character of Ortho. Okay, go ahead. Oh, why? I think he adds a lot to it. <laughs> I didn't mean it in a bat. I meant he does a good job of making me not like him. That's good oh, stuff. Right. There you go. Good You're stuff. right. You're I just don't like him. So that's good shit. Uh, Barb thinks them being ghosts is corny. The two walk in Delia's room now, but she's asleep. Lydia thinks she's making the ghost noises and bangs on the wall. Delia wakes up and turns the TV off. Barb and Adam leave the room as Lydia takes pictures of them. She realizes that there's no feet in the pictures. They're just levitating. 
Lydia asks if they were the ones in the attic. She's not scared of sheets, she says. Adam doesn't know what Night of the Living Dead is. Lydia can see them without the sheets. Fun fact, I've never seen Night of the Living Dead. Uh, live people can't see the strange and unusual. Lydia says she is strange and unusual. In the attic now, and they show her Adam's town he designed. They tell Lydia they can't leave the house. Adam wants Lydia to tell her parents they're horrible, ghoulish people to make them leave. Delia says we're having a dinner party tonight for seven people. Are you joking about ghosts in this house? Adam and Barbara watch as Lydia walks away from Delia. Adam says we gotta contact Beetlejuice. Barb sees the lights in Adam's model town flashing. Barb says his name three times and they're in the model town now. We see the Beetlejuice sign in his tombstone. The two begin to dig him up and they find his casket. It begins to shake and they both leave his burial site. Beetlejuice flies and lands in front of them. He kisses Barb and asks Adam if he has a shot at her. He's ecstatic they picked him. He says he's got to get to know them before he gets some people out of their house. Adam asks his qualifications, and he says his qualifications, and he's seen The Exorcist 167 times, and it gets funnier every time. He shows them a scary face, and the two walk off to talk privately. He peeks up Barb's dress, and Adam says they're leaving. He tries to convince them to stay, and he says he's been to Saturn and hates sandworms. He makes his head spin around and begs them to come inside, but Barb and Adam disappear. Beetlejuice says he's just trying to cut a deal as they disappear. Barb says she sh she changed her mind on Beetlejuice. We're at the big dinner party now, and Otho tells the table how he worked with the paranormal. Lydia says she saw some ghosts, and Delia jokes about it. Charles proposes a toast to the table. Otho asks about Lydia's ghost experiments. Delia tries to change the subject, but we hear Delia singing now. Deo! And the whole table begins to wave their napkins around and singing and dancing. Barb says we did it, and they think they scared them off. Lydia says they want them to come downstairs. All right, go ahead, Brian. <laughs> hey, -o. um, yeah, there's not a lot going on at the beginning of this set of scenes uh, until they really call Beetlejuice for the first time. Right, I've said it one time. I'm not gonna say it. I'm not gonna say it too. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Um, be um, anyway, I love this shit. Like them digging up cardboard. I think it's visually like just yeah. intriguing to me. Like yeah. it's, and, and you know, Keaton is just so fucking great here. I, I talked earlier about Ke uh, Keaton ad-libbing a lot, but here, here when he gets mad, kicks the tree, um, you know, it actually wasn't supposed to fall, but on that take, like Keaton just kicked it and uh, ad-libbed that whole line where he's like, nice fucking model. <laughs> like it just to the set designer, he's basically like telling the set designer, fuck off who messed up. But like Burton loved it so much. He just left it in. Like, it's just my favorite line of the movie, too. Uh, it's awesome to know it was an accident. Hmm. Um, Ortho's line here at dinner about being uh, one of New York's leading paranormal investigators before he went. Definitely, to me, I take it as a nod to Ghostbusters. I couldn't find anything that said it was 100%, so I'm saying it is. And because I said it, and this is our show and our rules and we do what the fuck we want to, I'm saying it is. It was a nod to Ghostbusters, so there you go. Um, and honestly, the Dale scene... Definitely. I mean, well, it was for me like one of the one, if not the most memorable part of this movie. Um, the lip singing, it, it's lip syncing. It's a little meh. I mean, even as a kid, like I realized that um, I kind of wish it would have been just them really singing it. If, if it possibly, I, I don't know. Like I would have at least liked to have seen that as a director and then maybe made the choice. But, um, you know, regardless you know, Burton actually was afraid to put that sequence uh, sequence in. He didn't think it would go over very well since he thought it wasn't funny, but it turned out to be wrong, obviously. Um, audiences loved it and, and uh, you know, obviously think it's one of the film's most iconic scenes. But uh, Oh, and another thing, when Glenn Shadix, ortho, 
um, RIP. He died in uh, September of 2010. But the last song performed at his memorial service was Deo, the banana boat song. <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. That's really cool, actually. Um, yeah, like you said, there there's not a ton in this early part of this set of scenes. Again, you get some really good Beetlejuice stuff. You you mentioned the visuals. Man, you're not wrong. Now, there's a scene later where he falls down and gets stuck, like because of the way the the you know the ground is when he's mini. You know, like there's a lot of like really, really cool visuals, I think, um, in this movie. <laughs> you know, the cardboard is just one of them. Um to me, this set, it's all about the dinner scene, man. And <laughs> since everyone else had to do it, I, I had to get one in too. <laughs> but in a lot of other movies, I would hate this scene. I really would. And that, I don't really know why because I don't not like musicals. Like I, I actually like musicals, you know, a decent amount of them anyway. Not every musical I've ever seen, but, you know, there's good You're ones. You're thinking of Scream 2 right now, aren't you? It, thank you. I, I know exactly what you're thinking about. Here's Scream 2, and it's a perfectly normal film. And there, I have no other reference points. I'm just going to use it. Here's this, I think I love you scene. And it's just the giant balls dragging this movie down. That's what Scream 2 is. But in this setting, because it's played for laughs, it's already jokey, haha. It's so good. It's so much fun. Everything at this dinner scene, man. It's awesome. Them singing, them being lifted into the air. Like, the whole thing is so stupid and ridiculous. It's the best kind of it, though. It's really, really good. Um, You know, I really wish this movie had a little bit more... um, I wish it had fleshed out the dynamic between Catherine O'Hara's character and Lydia... Because there's clearly some weird tension there. You know, stepdaughter, stepmom thing. Like, I get that. Short film, not a lot of time. Got it. That's not the heart of the story anyway. Got it. But I do think, I would have liked to just see a little more there. You know, a little more of them interacting. Butting heads. I kind of want to know why they don't like each other other than being total opposites. Like, you know, just a little more character development. It's something I noticed at this dinner scene, you know, where obviously she tries to mute mute Lydia and that's not cool. And and she she ends up being right. And it's just like, so I wish that was a little bit deeper, but that's okay. All in all, this set of scenes is so good just because of this damn singing shit, man. Like again, in a lot of other movies, I'd be like, fuck you. But in this movie, it worked. (laughs) I'm just telling you, man, scream two is the perfect example. That is so perfect because if I net, I'm telling you, I fast forward through that part if I ever watch Scream 2. I'm not sitting through this fucking thing. In this, it's so good. I've gone back and watched just this set or just this scene on YouTube before, man. Like, it's really, really fun. Uh, Lip singing, dude, I guess I just didn't even notice. Like, I didn't even notice that it was bad, good, or whatever. Um, But I'll take your word for it. I just think the bad lip singing to me almost makes it work, I guess. Uh, yeah, maybe that's why, maybe that's why I didn't notice. Like, I don't know, but I do like that. They went that route with it where it wasn't just like ghosts singing from another room or like in the room that nobody can see them. They've like taken them over and that, and that's what's the sound is coming from. I think that's really good. They all joke about the dancing and who can have more fun than us. Delia asked. Otho says to get Maxie up here. Now his wife, Sarah loves a supernatural. 
Bernard says he's Delia's agent and he wants real proof. Lydia comes downstairs and she tells them they don't want to come down. They want to scare them away. Delia says it wasn't a, a hallucination. It was real. Bernard calls her a fake. Lydia says they hide in the attic and Delia says, show us now. Delia smacks the door and says, let us in right now. She smacks it one more time and the door flies open. They see the lights in the model town. Otho sees the book of the recently deceased. Delia says, no ghost here. I don't want to scare them away, she says. They leave and we see Barb and Adam holding onto the window like outside to hide. Charles thinks they can turn this into an amusement park of the supernatural. We hear hissing now and a Beetlejuice snake attacks them and knocks Otho down the stairs and constricts Charles' leg, holding him upside down and drops him to the floor below. Barb says Beetlejuice three times and he disappears. Lydia asks why they're doing this and she runs away. Adam and Barb see Beetlejuice wreck a car in the model town. Beetlejuice is pissed and he says he doesn't want to do business with them. He says he feels anxious now. It's been 600 years. He wants to find some action. He sees the Inferno room is hopping and hops his way in there. Juno deals with a dead football team as Adam and Barb walk back in her office. She sits him down and says she wants Beetlejuice out and Otho has the handbook. She doesn't want there to be proof there is existence beyond the dead or uh, beyond death. She tells she tells the team the coach survived and they don't listen to her and she kicks the football team out. Charles and Dilly are outside and he says maybe this was a bad idea. He doesn't think this is the right environment for Lydia. Maxie is coming tonight, Otho says. Opera music plays now as Lydia writes out her suicide note. Juno tells him to get the Dietzes out. She asks how will they scare them. Adam transforms his face with this, it looks like a long beak with no eyes and eyes on his fingers. Barb removes her eyes and makes a giant mouth with eyes in her throat. Juno says to get the photos and get the handbook back. The team is back and says they didn't survive the crash. All right, go ahead, Brian. And the next two scenes are the ending. <laughs> so the snake Beetlejuice, you know, I know that the intention and the idea was to be kooky. Like, I get that. But I wonder if, it probably will, but if he had the budget, would Burton have really made, like, the snake look real? And how much... This is a question for you guys. Like, how much, if if any, would that have changed, like, the tone of the movie? Like, what do you guys think? Not just that, but the sandworm, too. The the quote-unquote trimmer, you know, the sandworm. But, like, do yeah, you man. think that if those looked real, realistic and not kooky and, and B-movie, you know, uh, stop motion, do you think that it would have changed the tone of the movie? Do you think it would have made it worse? I definitely would have think it changed. I definitely think it would have changed the tone. Because the tone is silly and kooky, like you said, and these effects make it almost like a live-action cartoon in a way. And so if that's the intent, then I think making a more realistic-looking snake would take away from that preference, personal preference. I would have rather, if he had the budget, it would have been awesome to see a better-looking snake. I don't know if you had, if anyone else had this in their fun facts or whatever, but how they had this original snake before they cast Michael Keaton, it looked nothing like him and they redid it. So it looked a little bit more like Michael Keaton. So like, because before it, it just didn't look anything like him. So I don't know, maybe that had something to do with it. I'm not sure. I think I would have rather seen a higher budget snake though. A sentence I never thought I'd say in my whole life. <laughs> I don't know. Part of me says, sure, let's see a higher budget one. But then if I seen it and didn't like it, I'll say, yeah, they should have probably used a, a more goofy looking one. So I don't know. I can't be pleased, I guess. 
Well, you can't, you, as much as I like Anaconda as a guilty pleasure, you don't want to go Anaconda with it. Like it's, that looks just as bad and it's supposed to be realistic. Like, you know, so I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, that's fair. Um, anyway, I thought it was a, a, a very clever shot of, uh, of Barbara and Adam when they're talking to Beetlejuice and, you know, while they're like normal size and he's small in that model, yeah. but it's like from his perspective, um, I thought that looked good, and you could kind of tell that they used the whole border of the model house to kind of separate the two and kind of give it some depth, uh, kind of Back to the Future 2-like-ish. It, 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 anyway, but I thought it was good. And that joke he makes about being, uh, quote-unquote, anxious, or a.k.a. horny, because he, he has those horns or, or spikes coming out of him, and then he talks about action, and the whorehouse pops up. I mean, I may have not gotten some jokes, you know, as a little kid, but this one, I think you kind of get at any age. <laughs> and I think, uh, I think, if anything, that they would have definitely thrown this to be a PG-13 nowadays. Um, anyway, that's all I really had at this group of scenes. Uh, go ahead, Mike. Yeah. So, um, you, you kind of touched on the snake, so I'll have to touch on it now, too. There's, to me, it did the hokiness of that snake did not affect my viewing in any way. It's literally, this is again, a, it's a live action cartoon in my mind. And so to me that works, it almost looked like something out of ah, real monsters. And so I'm cool with that. Um, so there's a lot of really cool shots in this scene. And, you know, like you said, you mentioned the one from Beetlejuice's perspective. I just like that, you know, regular size model size, shift anyway like i really like that dynamic in this film something else i already touched on when they're in the waiting room again <laughs> and the football team is behind <laughs> you know it's really awesome uh and like them kind of bickering and her kind of getting mad that they summon beetlejuice like again for whatever reason this just works man like playing death as a joke speaking of playing death as a joke they kind of use Lydia's quote unquote suicide note as a, as a funny, ha ha sat, you know, like, yeah. you know, like, like world's smallest violin almost thing. And again, any, a lot of other films, it would not work. And in this setting, it just kind of does. Yeah. The opera music, like it's like super over the top dramatic. Um, I'm not long for this world kind of thing. Like that's kind of the vibe you get. And I think it's good, man. I think it's I really, I jumped. Nay plummeted yeah yeah exactly like she crosses it out and puts plummeted i'm like this is really good like i, I get again i give one note a lot uh, writer a lot of credit you know something nico said at the top of the show it's so interesting to see her all the way back here when she was what 16 17 years old and to see her on stranger things now not playing the same character but like you know still in this like spooky environment just you know a lot more age and a lot older i think it's really cool to kind of flip between the two, it's a really good look. Um, again, I, I actually really like a lot about this scene. I like you get a lot more Beetlejuice here. You, you get you get kind of like a you know, I won't say gross Beetlejuice, but you know, like he's he's really really good here, man. Um, it's so weird that he he's just not in this movie that much, but he kind of to me he kind of dominates this a little bit. But um, again, in the waiting room. Some of the dialogue and lines, really, really enjoy those. And let's see, I had one more thing. Oh, 
when the football guy walked back in and says, oh, Coach, I don't think we survived that crash. I don't know. I get a kick out of that every time, man. Um, mm. it, it, it's, it's really, really good. So that's pretty much all I had, man. I, I had a problem with ta- this movie. I didn't have a problem taking notes with Ghostbusters. But with this movie and Scary Movie 2, it's really hard to take notes when it's like – it's not like our normal structure where it's like, oh, here's a kill. Okay, let's write a note around that. Let's write a note about this spooky shadow behind the corner. Okay, Chucky's got this knife or whatever. He's talking shit. This is just like beat after beat of some comedy. And if anyone ever asked me to do a comedy movie review podcast, I think I would suck at it. So I'm never going to do that. Yeah, uh, and fun fact, I was going to use one of my fun facts. Now, Beetlejuice is only in this movie for 14 and a half minutes. I know yes. you brought that up a lot, but yeah. it's, it's very very Hannibal Lecter vibes uh, yeah. from Silence of the Lambs. Yeah. Sometimes right, less is more, ending. though, man. Sometimes less is more, for sure. A part of me feels like I would want more Beetlejuice in this, though. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but Keaton's I don't so know. good I think, at it. I think it might. I mean, he is amazing at it, but I mean, I wonder if the shtick would kind of get old after a while, if it's too much. You know, I, I don't, don't know, know, man. You know, he's so I damn funny at the end, though. I, I think mean, <laughs> He's great. He's great. I don't know. Come on, Nico. Make my millennium. <laughs> All right, here we go. Here's the ending, and bear with me. There's a little bit to read here. Lydia walks back in the attic, and she hears Beetlejuice. He tells her they're dead. She asks if he's a ghost, too. He says she looks like somebody he can relate to. He asks her to help him get out of here. Maybe we could talk once I get out of here. She, she asks what's his name, and he says he can't tell her. He says his life becomes hell if all of her friends know, as Cedric said, he's got to do, you know, like mall signings and all that. It was hilarious. He says we can't, we, he says we can play charades. Two words. He tells her to turn around and look behind her. Beetle, she says. She names off other words, and she says Beetlejuice. She says it twice, and she says she needs to talk to Barbara and won't say his name again. Barb tells Adam she doesn't want to go through with scaring them. She wants to be with Lydia. They walk in the attic as Beetlejuice yells for Lydia to say his name. Barb tells her they're dead, and being dead doesn't make anything easier. You can come visit anytime you want. Adam can't figure out how to get his face normal, and I thought that was funny. Barb says they're going to invite her family to stay. Charles and Otho go upstairs and carry the table with the models, the model city downstairs. Charles is pitching to Maxie to invest. Maxie says, we're here to see some ghosts. Lydia says they're not here anymore, and they all begin to joke. Delia says she likes to overreact. They ask Otho if if they're still here, and Maxie says that he just wants to see. Otho says he needs something personal of theirs, and Delia walks out. Otho lights a candle as they all hold hands around the table with the Dietz's wedding clothes on the table. Otho begins his chant, To the living, let now the dead come alive. Barbara begins to fade and her wedding dress begins to stand and Barbara fills the dress. Her skin begins to wrinkle and she reaches out for Lydia. Now Adam begins to fade and fills in his wedding suit. He now holds Barbara's hand as it shrivels and crumbles. Adam begins to shrivel and age now too. Lydia runs to the model town and asks Beetlejuice to help. He says he needs help to get out of here. He wants to marry Lydia. She, she says his name three times and he says, It's showtime. The room begins to shake, and he floats up from the table as this, like, carnival game. He rolls his arms out, and they become mallets, launching Maxie and his wife through the ceiling. He smokes and says he doesn't do two shows a night anymore. The Maitlands fall over, and Beetlejuice jumps on Otho's back. Beetlejuice joins in on the family hug and says they're welcome any time to their house. He changes into his wedding suit, and Lydia's in her dress now. The sculptures crawl around and wrap around Delia and Charles constricting them. 
a ghoulish minister emerges and asks him if they'll take her to be his wife. And Lydia says no, and she and tries to say his name. He now he now manipulates her voice, and he casts Adam's teeth out of his head to pre to prevent him from saying his name. He now casts Adam into the model town. Barb says his name once, and he zips her mouth shut. Then he puts a plate over her mouth. He forgot the ring and begins to pull snakes out of his pocket. Barb is back to the desert, and Adam drives the truck through the model town. He tells Lydia the last woman meant nothing to him. Adam drives into his foot in the desert. Uh, this kind of confused me. The the desert worm snake like falls through the roof, and it, does it eat him, Brian? I don't know. It eats him, and he disappears through the bottom of the floor. Now we're at Lydia's school as she leaves for the day. We see Adam and Barb back home doing house projects, and she brought Adam the prince, and Barb asked about her science and math test. Jump in the line begins to play, and Lydia levitates, and Barb and Adam all dance. Film ends with Beetlejuice waiting in the lobby next to the others. He says, women, I don't know what her problem is. He now <laughs> finesses a ticket from the guy beside him, and he shrinks Beetlejuice's head. Now we see the football team dancing with Lydia as the movie ends. All right, Brian, what did you think of the ending? Um, I love the ending. Uh, I actually love the exchange between Lydia and, uh, and Beetlejuice, too. Yes. Um, yeah, I think Keaton, Keaton was remarkable there, especially. And, you know, I have to say the best looking scene to me and effects, and there's a ton of them, obviously, they won an Oscar for it. But my favorite of the whole movie, Adam and Barbara coming back to life in human form and then those wedding clothes. And like, I think it's a genuinely creepy scene. I've always thought that it was just fantastic yeah. as a younger kid. Like I, I, that one, that one, I was like, oh my gosh just the skin falling off. Like when they grab each other, I think it's because they do such a good job of character development with them. And you really, you really like them, you yeah. know? And so to like to see that happening to them kind of, kind of hits you a little bit. Um, you know, just some little Easter eggs, the bat wings on the side of uh, Beetlejuice's head here, uh, maybe some foreshadowing there of how he'll, you know, kind of become Batman in a year. And the, uh, the skeleton head on top of uh, Beetlejuice's merry-go-round looks a lot like Jack Skellington. Um, obviously the one from, you know, he actually, Tim Burton drew that in 1982. So obviously it would ultimately become, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas. But uh, I thought that was pretty awesome. Um, also, like I couldn't help but notice a lot of similarities between Beetlejuice, like when he was doing his fair routine, um, you know, and, and even the sound cues from uh, Elfman. Between the fair scene here and like the circus scene in Batman Returns, there's a lot of similarities in there. Um, anyway, that's all I had. Uh, love it. I'm with you 100%. This is my favorite part of the film. It's really, really good. Um, it's it's kind of weird in a movie that's mostly played for laughs. It's this set of scenes. that's probably the least played for laughs that I really enjoy. I guess that kind of shows my taste sometimes. Um, love Michael Keaton here though, man, when he comes to life for lack of a better term, you know, and gets to actually create some havoc. I think it's really good. Um, I love how all he really does to Otho is change his outfit. Yeah. And his screams and runs <laughs> it's screams really, really like that. Um, yeah, man, I love their, first of all, I love the interaction as they realize, you know, as Gina Davis realized that she's disappearing in front of, you know, him and they're kind of like, oh no, they're kind of grabbing each other. Again, you, you mentioned they did such a good job establishing these characters and their dynamic where I'm like, oh shit, what's happening? And then, you know, you see them being 
again, summoned into these wedding clothes. It was a really cool scene. I think this is one of the times the effects stand up pretty well. Um, And I, you know, genuinely you feel for them as they decay right before our eyes. You know, I will say the makeup on Gina Davis uh, when she's in that scene is kind of bad. You can see parts of her face underneath the eyes. Uh, I guess that's it. Part of me thinks that's a little intentional. Like they didn't really care that they just wanted to get the point across that she's, you know, decaying. So, and they do a good job with the, you know, finger falling off and stuff like that. Like, I think that's really, really good. Uh, Some of the, I will say as much as I love the set of scenes, some of the quote unquote wedding stuff I could go without. Um, It's a little uncomfortable. Not going to (laughs) lie. Little uncomfortable. She's however old she is. And, I know he technically is kind of ageless, so I guess it, I don't know. I'm going to say it doesn't matter, but that's not true. Just a little weird. But anyway, um, that's not the reason I can go without it, though. I just feel like it goes a little too long, um, but that's just me. And I love the ending because I do think, look, sometimes I'm a sucker for a happy ending. Now, sometimes I don't like that shit, especially in horror movies. But I'm a sucker for a happy ending, and I do like that the two families kind of come together to raise Lydia, I think that's really, really cool. And not something if you turn on this movie at the beginning that I would have seen coming. And there's a part of me that thinks that would have just exiled Catherine O'Hara's character like they like the stepmom in the parent trap, where she ends up, you know, floating in the middle of the lake or the river or whatever, and you know, it's me or them, take your pick, bud. Like one of those. I c- but you don't get that. They kind of come together to raise her, and I think that's really, really cool, man. Uh also, I just love this outro scene where she's dancing in the air and everyone, you know, the, the, the there's other ghosts. Like, I think it's really good, man. Uh, you hear Dale and then uh, Catherine Harris character go, oh, must have passed that mat test. <laughs> like, really, really good. Fun, fun dynamic. I think it's, uh, again, my favorite set of scenes is here in the end outside of the wedding stuff. All right. Any more final thoughts before we jump into a fan question? All right. Michelle, where is Go ahead. Catherine O'Hara from this time period. If you're interested, you can call me sometime. <laughs> Winona Ryder a decade after this. You can call me sometime. <laughs> now, I don't I wouldn't want Winona Ryder to steal my heart or anything. <laughs> That's a shoplifting joke. You're welcome, pal. <laughs> She's never coming on the show. <laughs> Not now. All right. All right. Michelle commented on Twitter. Great choice, guys. I love this movie. Do you guys think if this movie was made in present day, it would still get a PG rating? Uh, I'll go first. Like, like uh, I th- I can't remember which one of you said it, but I would say it gets at least a PG thirteen. Yeah, yeah, I would. Definitely well, PG thirteen. Somehow this fell. I don't think it's going to be an R, but PG thirteen probably. No, it's yeah, not a hard sure. R. It it fell behind the censor somehow because PG thirteen was a thing when this movie came out, not for very long, but it was definitely a thing. If I'm not mistaken, so oh, some, yeah, it was. So right. somehow this just kind of fell through the cracks. I, I guess they saw Michael Keaton and the cast, and they said, "Eh, it'll be all right. Eh, whatever." You know, well, again, I think it's just the way that it's, it's portrayed. Like me too. They're like, "Oh, okay," because it's played for a gag, then it's okay. So yeah, kind of hard to believe that somebody getting hung in a closet and decapitated body on the floor. <laughs> right, right. But it, it, like you said, it's all played as a joke. All right, let's jump into fun facts. I've just got a few of them from IMDb. 
Uh, this is Michael Keaton's favorite film of his own as of this IMDb. You never know. <laughs> Seven movies later might be another favorite. Shout out to Brad Dorf. All right. Uh, according to according to Michael Keaton, the Beetlejuice character was described to him by director Tim Burton as having lived in every time period, but no time period. Keaton used this as a jumping off point to create the character with such features as a shock hairdo, mold makeup, and large teeth. He said that when he first showed up to the set as Beetlejuice, the crew was chanting, Juice, juice, juice. This got Keaton excited for the role. That's awesome. Do you think they chanted that for O.J. Simpson whenever he used to walk in a room? Have, you, that? have you ever seen the people versus O.J. Simpson where they're all standing on that bridge yelling down, Juice, juice, <laughs> juice, juice. Yes, they did. They absolutely did. As he's pulling back into Brentwood, come on, man. <laughs> uh, I've just I've got four of them, but they're not from me. This is Dustin's. Uh, Dustin found them. Um, he said the uh, the studio originally wanted to call the film House Ghosts, and as a joke, Tim Burton suggested the name Scared Sheetless, and was actually horrified when the studio <laughs> actually considered using it. Um, this was a really cool fun fact that Beetlejuice was the first DVD sent out on Netflix in 1998 i thought that was pretty cool and uh tim burton actually originally wanted sammy davis jr uh favorite star of his since childhood to play the role of beetlejuice thankfully this is one thing where as a studio executive stepped in for and uh made the right decision thank god uh, they did not like that at all and lastly this is included um among the uh, american film institute's 2000 list of the top 100 funniest american movies um, really quick, I just want to say, I know that maybe by the time this comes or, you know, in a, a week from now, whenever we're going to do our top 10 movies to watch in October, this is on my list. I, I mean, this just fits a really cool, like fun Halloween movie where you don't have to shit your pants to watch it. Like, so that's pretty, that's pre and trust me, I know all about it. So anyway, uh, this, <laughs> this movie was made for a cool $15 million and made a whopping $73.7 million. Um, one thing I do want to say, and I meant to, I kind of touched on it earlier. There's been calls for Beetlejuice two since like before this movie even came out. Um, I would say this: I do know that there's a lot of the cast have said, "Sure, we'll do it. Like we'll come back for, for the right script." I don't know if Tim Burton has any interest or not. Um, I had I didn't do any research on what he's thought about it, but I know. Keaton has shown interest in returning to the role. Maybe not now, but definitely a decade ago for sure. Uh, Gina Davis, Baldwin, like all those guys really would have wanted to, you know, you know, Winona Ryder said she was, you know, interested. Sometimes things are better left alone. Um, and I like sequels because if I fall in love with characters, I like to see an ex a continuation of those characters. But for whatever reason, this movie just works one time. Yeah. I don't think this movie works again, even with the same cast of characters. You, it, again, that stir fry I talked about in the very beginning doesn't taste the same the next day. It's a, it's a star right fresh out the pan with a little bit of soy sauce, but you heat it up in the microwave the next day for lunch. It does not taste the same. And so I kind of think you get that here. Uh, I just, I'm not in favor of a Beetlejuice 2. And I know nobody else brought it up in the comments. I expected it because every October, oh, Beetlejuice 2. It's not happening. I don't think it's happening. I, I And I hope it doesn't. I agree. I don't think they should make it. All righty. Let's jump into our rating. All right. 
I actually didn't write down a summary because I really didn't even know what to say because I keep battling my mind how I really feel about the movie. A part of me feels like, Brian, that this movie is kind of like trick or treat maybe. The more times I watch it, the more I'll like it. So maybe that is the case, and I'll watch it again in a couple months and like it even more. But as of right now, I think I've said how I feel. Keaton was great. Kind of want more of him in the movie, but when you did get him on, he was awesome. Uh, The cast is all likable and recognizable. They all did a great job. The claymation stuff, the, the worm, trimmer, whatever you call it, didn't look great, but the more I watch it, the more I think, yeah, it was actually kind of supposed to not look good, I guess, while it's there. The Beetlejuice snake, I kind of liked it, too. Odd movie. It's an odd movie. <laughs> but uh, I had fun with it. It's not my favorite, personally, but I liked it more than the first time I watched it, so I gave it a six and a half. Okay. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, everything I've already said, fun movie. I have nostalgia for it. I think Keaton is great. I think the rest of the cast is really, really awesome. I liked it. It looks like a live-action cartoon. There's something nostalgic about that for me because that was kind of a big thing at the time. Like, uh, I felt like Jumanji shot in the same way. I-, I know that's like a lot of time in between those two films, but like in my childhood, viewing them, I you know viewed them you know a lot during the same time period. So like in my mind, they're kind of both played the same way, where it's like a live-action cartoon, as I already said. Um, I like that style. I think it's really good. Um, there's some nitpicks. Obviously, the effects are are what they are, but it's played on purpose, so I'm not mad at it. You know, some of the dialogue is a little dated. Uh, people don't talk like they talk in this movie anymore, <laughs> uh, and that's okay. What do you mean, you putts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, oh god, he's gonna start calling us putts in the group chat, and I'm gonna go nuts. Put, putts, nuts for putts. Anyway, um, yeah. So, all that being said. A lot of fun. I think the music is underrated. Uh, I like that this movie has a very dark look, and the music is very fun and whimsical. I, uh, you know, I said uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory earlier. That I, I, I kind of hit the nail on the head as far as just like upbeat sounding stuff. As while all this weird shit is going on. By the way, Willy Wonka is a freaking horror movie. It guy's a psychopath. Anyway. Um, <laughs> You wait till I pick it. You wait till I make you guys review that movie from a different angle. Anyway, all that being said, really enjoy this film. Michael Keaton, mwah, Chef's Kiss is his best role to me outside. <laughs> Again, I his Batman is one of the only Batmans I'm interested in, so I'll give him credit for that. Um, he's really good in a lot of other stuff, but I, I think he's just best as Beetlejuice right here. All that being said, I gave this an 8.75. Couldn't quite go 9, but 8.75 just to mess up the uh, rating system. Some Dewey, de- <laughs> some Dewey Decimal points in this bitch. All right. Dustin, our guy, had to leave the show earlier. He want he wanted to let everybody know he's pissed off. He couldn't finish the show. He had some technical issues, some internet errors. So he's really pissed off because I know he likes his movie. I know he had a lot of notes on it. Um so he's very, very disappointed that he could not stay on. However, he gave this movie a 10, a fucking 10. <laughs> and his only other movie that he ever gave a 10 so far in the entire time he's been on here was what? Ghostbusters. Who are you going to call? <laughs> um, so, I, you know, I, 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 my intro here, I kind of think, gave my thoughts on this movie all together. Um, I really went back and forth because I wanted to give it a 10 uh, just because of the nostalgia that I have for it. But I really, I just couldn't. And so I I, I went with a 9.5. Um, 
for my rating. Uh, my my uh, uh, best and least favorite kill were uh, Barbara and Adam. And uh, <laughs> so there you go. 9.5 from me. All right. I didn't even pick a least favorite and favorite. I didn't even think about that. I was just uh, fucking around. Oh, that's cool, brother. All right, so I'm going to read uh, Hunter's little rev- uh, summary real quick. So I picked this movie because Halloween Horror Nights 30 is about to start, and Beetlejuice is one of the big-name haunted houses. Let's go. I've always, I've always been a Tim Burton and Michael Keaton fan because of Batman 89 and Batman Returns. That's Michael favorite. Keaton acting as Beetlejuice was great, along with the rest of the cast. This movie has some iconic scenes like the jump-in-the-line scenes and the Maitlands deforming their faces. Michael Keaton had a couple of good one-liners like, it's showtime, and my favorite is, we've come for your daughter, Chuck, lying when he's a snake. Of course, being a fan of Tim Burton movies, I enjoy all the claymation and stop motion he uses. Those damn sandworms. Overall, this is a fun, eccentric, and also spooky movie. It's got a loaded cast with some big names. The set design and color scheme are pretty great, and of course, a great score composed by Danny Elfman. I'm going to rate it at 8.25 out of 10. So because there are no kills, I figured I would pick a favorite and least favorite of all the dead characters you see in the movie. No surprise that my favorite is Beetlejuice because of his rude and crude humor and personality. My second would probably be the guy that got burned up and is still smoking cigarettes and drops the line, I'm trying to cut back myself. My least favorite would probably be the witch doctor at the end. Fellas, I appreciate y'all letting me have a pick, and if you don't like this movie... Well, I'm sorry you're wrong with the shrug emoji and the laugh emoji. (laughs) Also, like I told Brian the other day, it's easy to support something when it's something you love. I love this podcast and all the content you guys have provided us during some pretty tough times lately. So thank you guys for everything you do. Let me go wipe my tears up real quick. That was so sweet at the end. (laughs) And guys, listen, you know, and first of all, thank you. Big thank you from me personally. Absolutely. Hunter. Um, you know, and I know all the guys feel the same way. Thank you guys. But listen, I mean, I don't think besides us doing a horror comedy month, which we've already done. So I don't know. I I don't think there's any plans for us to do that again in the future, but I don't think we would have picked this movie, you know? And so I'm very, and and I love it. Obviously I gave it a 9.5. So I'm really glad that we got the opportunity to do that. So, you know, listen, you guys want us to review something that we may or may not you know, be on our list. I don't know. Hey, go to the, go to our website, go to don't go out there.com, go to the blood donors. Look, there's two, uh, two tiers where, where you can, you do this, pick us a movie, pick us a movie to, to review. Um, you get your, you know, you can get your, uh, rating read on here, just like Hunter did, or Hey, there's a tier. You can come on here. We've had them on here before. Come on here and, uh, and join us. Yeah. Review it with us. Yeah. Please don't pick Hocus Pocus. Oh, it's getting picked next year, brother. You I'm picking how- right it is. I'm picking Halloween Town. Fuck it, Brian. I gotta say, I think Shan might have. If Hunter didn't do, it, I think Shan might have might have paid for this one too. I think Shan loved this movie a lot. I've I've seen her tweet us and you know message us about Beetlejuice a lot. Which this was a fun movie. It needed a review, Absolutely. and just because our title of our show is horror movie podcast. Hey, if it involves Halloween, something gothic, something spooky, uh, something with horror elements. We'll probably review it. We're, All right, Halloween we're 3 next do, week. Uh, Halloween 3 to kick that? off October. Woo! No, I didn't pick that. Well, nice. Dustin's pick next week. Let me shout out these blood donors real quick, and I'll announce Dustin's pick. Uh, our camp level reoccurring blood donors are Clayton J. Thank you very much. And Nina, still don't know your last name. I'm sorry, but we appreciate your support. And our camp counselors reoccurring is Hunter Nelson, whose movie we reviewed tonight. Karen. 
Shan Petrusevich and Dennis Kennedy. Thank you all so much for your uh, for being Patreons. We really appreciate it. It helps yes. us pay for this podcast and help you know hosting website all that good stuff. Uh, next week is Brother Dustin's pick if he can make the show. Just kidding, brother. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's taking on one of Brian's. I know one of Brian's personal favorite movies as well is Blade. Uh, I haven't seen Blade since God knows how long. I think maybe when it first came out. So I really can't tell you how I feel about it yet, but I'm excited to rewatch it. Oh, I can't wait. Oh boy. Oh boy. I know my, I know how Mike is about superhero movies. I wonder how he feels about Blade. <laughs> I also don't like vampire movies. Oh, he'll like it next week. All right, here we go. <laughs> ten. I'm giving it a fucking ten. <laughs> All right, let's close the show out. Uh, just want to thank all our fans and listeners. Like I said at the beginning, the past few episodes, past couple months worth have been uh, doing really well. So we must be doing something right. And like Hunter said, uh, he really loves the show. That means a lot to us getting these yep. messages that we're, that they're loving the the content. Uh, thank you all for so much. And go ahead, Mike, close us out. Before I go, I just wanted to say that I, I put this on Twitter earlier, and I think it needs to be reset in audio form. I think it's really cool that we get to do three completely different movies in three weeks in a row, back to back to back. What a cool concept that we have here where we can review something un just unnerving and makes you feel weird the whole, the whole two hours and 45 minutes like midsummer then last week we, we, we do what is kind of a cheesy slasher and curse to chucky um you know it's a it's a fucking doll that kills people for god's sakes everyone like it's it's stupid but we loved it <laughs> um and then this week we get to do freaking beetlejuice uh, it, um, uh, it's uh, it's a comedy spooky comedy but a comedy and i think uh man what a cool deal man i just yeah. the fact you know, and we're going in October, so obviously there's going to be more, a little bit more spookiness. You know, Blade, not necessarily, but, you know, there'll be a Halloween movie or two. You know, we're going to do Halloween Kills when that movie comes out. Like, you got very right, we are. Yeah. Uh, Michael Myers, you know, I know Brian's got a, I'm not spoiling it, but Brian's got a Halloween movie. I let him do it instead of me, but I picked something scary. I don't even remember what I picked now. But, uh, so before we do, all this Halloween centric stuff. I, th- I think it was kind of fun to do three, just you, three movies that couldn't be any more opposite of the other. And I think that's kind of fun. In one hour photo the week before that. that yeah, was really absolutely. Different. A complete. So that's four. That's back to back to back to back. Like that's really a really fun deal. I've, golly. Robin Williams is the fucking man. Anyway. All right. I'm, sorry. I'm done. All right. And let's close the shot now. Sneak peek. More Tim Burton on the way in the next month. Just saying. Let's All go. right. Thank you, listeners. Really, really appreciate it. Y'all be blessed. You putts. Just want to remind everybody. Banana till the morning come Daylight come and me want go home Come Mr. Tallyman, tally me banana Daylight come and me want go home Come Mr. Tallyman, tally me banana Daylight come and me want go home Live six foot, seven foot, eight foot bunch Daylight come
four bunch, a ripe banana. Daylight come and we wander home. Hide the deadly black tarantula. Daylight come and we wander home. Live six foot, seven foot, eight foot bunch. Yeah. 